Welcome to the Birth Prep Podcast. I'm Taylor, and I'm here to help you prepare your mind, body, and team to best support you during your birth experience. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Lexi Zuo, who is a birth doula, a childbirth educator, and a fellow mama of five. Her mission is to help every woman have an empowered pregnancy at birth. And today, she is here to chat with us a little bit about how to navigate a high risk pregnancy and birth experience. Hi, Lexi. It's so great to have you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Do you want to kick us off by sharing a little bit about why you do this work or what led you to doing it? Yeah. Um, So I always like to share, I grew up in a fairly crunchy birth family, I would say. Um, I actually grew up in Florida. I was born in a Florida birth center. My mom had all of her kids at birth centers with midwives. Um, So that is the world that I thought was very normal uh, surrounding pregnancy and birth. I always joke like I growing up thought like epidurals were poison and that had to, you know, nurse their babies till their babies like three or four years old. Like that is just the world that I grew up in. Um, Then I got married in my early twenties. My oldest is adopted. uh, But then I got pregnant shortly after with my first biological child. And I was so committed to all the things, you know, the Ename childbirth guide. I did my Mm -hmm. prenatal yoga, everything every day. Uh, But then at 33 weeks, when I was living in Africa, first time pregnant mom, my water broke. And I was immediately thrust into like the high risk pregnancy world through no choice of my own, despite Mm -hmm. the world that I grew up in. So yeah, I personally would have always loved to have had a hospital or not a hospital birth, sorry, a a home birth or a birth center birth. But due to initially that very first pregnancy and birth, all of my future pregnancies were classified as high risk, um, high likelihood of potential even earlier preterm labor, Mm preterm delivery. I've always had hyperemesis with all of my pregnancies. in my second pregnancy, I was diagnosed with a blood clotting disorder, and I've always had a really severe hypertension for my babies that I've made it to full term with a, pre- a prenatal hypertension. So I've run the gamut of birth experiences, but I've learned both as a parent and as a birth doula and childbirth educator that you can still have a really positive and empowered experience, even as a high-risk parent. It does not have to be only trauma and fear and anxiety. It can still be really beautiful, really empowering, and really wonderful. So I love that so much because that's like my core belief too. Like anybody, any way, any type of birth, you can do it. You can have the experience that's like a positive, empowered experience. So I love that so much. Thanks for sharing that with me. Let's see. I don't have any experience being a high risk patient. Um, my mom has a little bit. She was hyperemesis. She like lived in the hospital for a while and stuff. Um, so I kind of witnessed it, but I don't have any personal experience that way. Um, what 
like, I guess let's start with the pregnancy side of things. Like, what does that look like? Maybe even like the diagnosis process or even like, what can we expect at a typical appointment? Like, you want to chat about that? Yeah. So there are a lot of things that can thrust you into the high-risk pregnancy world. And it's important to note that there is a huge spectrum of severity and seriousness within the high-risk pregnancy diagnosis uh, realm. Uh, that's literally like the only phrase that we use, but there are things that are very, very, very potentially catastrophic and things that are like, oh, this is a little concerning. Maybe you'll need one extra ultrasound and one visit to the MFM. Like there's a huge spectrum. So that's important to know first off, like you can still be considered like low level high risk and still have a home birth or a birth center birth if that's something that you want, you know? So that's the first important thing to know. There are some things that, depending on what type of provider that you see, whether you're seeing an MFM, an OB, a family practice doctor, or a midwife, that right off the bat may qualify you as being quote unquote high risk. Things like being um, advanced maternal age, 35 or older during your pregnancy, having a higher BMI, having a history of even one C-section, depending on the provider that you go to. Some people say that makes you higher risk. Um, Being too young, so being on the younger end, a teen mom, that could potentially make you high risk. Uh, Having, being pregnant with twins or other multiples, multiples, higher order multiples would definitely make you a higher level of risk. But depending on who you talk to, twins themselves can be still a very healthy, normal pregnancy. Uh, Whether or not you conceive via IVF or any sort of other um, assisted reproductive technology. So those are some baseline things that just coming into your pregnancy, depending on your provider, can classify you as high risk. Then if you have any sort of anomalies with your baby or your placenta, or your own um, reproductive anatomy, for example. I once had a client that had two uteruses. That was exceptionally high risk. Yeah. Um, So those are some things. And then you thrust on just maternal health history, things like blood clotting disorders, type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes, hypothyroidism, history of polycystic ovarian syndrome. Any of those things, depending on who you talk to, can make you high risk. So you really have to know your own health history mm-hmm. and why you're getting that classification and then the level of risk or severity that your team views that as. Okay. I like that. Interesting. So what is it like if I was like going to these appointments, it just looks like extra testing and like just as needed kind of situation. Yeah, it depends. Um, it depends again in the severity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, for example, with my first pregnancy, that was after my what is called pre-prom, premature rupture of membranes. I had that with my first, you know, at thirty-three weeks. My first pregnancy after that, I was considered exceptionally high risk. They did not know whether or not I could even make it to thirty-three weeks for my next pregnancy. So for that pregnancy, I only saw an MFM or maternal fetal medicine specialist. If you don't know what that is, that is an OBGYN that has trained in an additional fellowship 
only specializing in caring for mothers with high risk conditions in their pregnancy or their babies having some sort of high risk condition. So with that pregnancy, I was considered exceptionally high risk. So I only saw an MFM my whole pregnancy. For my next pregnancies, after I quote unquote proved that I could make it to full term, Mm -hmm. I was like downgraded in risk a little bit. And I would have, you know, two to three consults with an MFM during my pregnancy, but I could still see an OBGYN. And then my final pregnancy, I had one telehealth and one ultrasound with an MFM and I saw a midwife the rest of my pregnancy. So it really just depends on the severity and the level of monitoring they think you need. But um, yeah, really all an MFM visit is, is just kind of a benefits and risk discussion meeting about uh, the plan of action for you or your baby's health health situation. So they may talk to you about, um, you know, what would be an ideal pregnancy pathway for you, what sort of monitoring they think might be helpful. Uh, if they think that you need non-stress tests at the end of your pregnancy, if they think you need extra ultrasounds, if there are certain medications that they think would be wise for you to take, uh, that can be very common if you have a blood clotting condition, if you have um, lots of things, if you have a history of yeah. like conditions, certain types of diabetes, you know, uh, MFM is the one that's kind of going to talk to you about the overarching large view game plan. And depending on what level of monitoring you need, they will be the one to continue to see you for all your prenatal visits and carry that out. Or they can just give those orders to your regular OB or even midwife. Okay. Yeah. They're kind of like the big boss. That's what yeah. I like to say. I, yeah, that's they interesting. The, the orders and the instructions on okay. me. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like running the care plan, basically. Yes. Okay. I love that. That's interesting. Um, okay. Well, let's think. What are some like important questions that you would consider asking an MFM? Yeah. I think that's really important because just just by virtue of being referred to an MFM or, you know, depending on what your main provider calls it, an MFM, maternal fetal medicine, or they might just call it a high risk OB. Yeah. Um depending on how much information they give you beforehand, you could be coming into that first meeting with the MFM feeling a lot of anxiety and just fear and like, what is going on here? Why do I have to see this person? What's going on with my baby? Are we okay? You know? So I think my top recommendation for that initial meeting with an MFM would be to really get a very clear vision for asking, um, for knowing why is your pregnancy considered high risk and then asking them point blank, okay, on like a spectrum of seriousness or severity, where do I lie on that spectrum? It's very important to have a clear understanding of that. Um, an example with my second pregnancy, um, where I was diagnosed with a blood clotting disorder, uh, it was called, it's called antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, and it puts you at higher risk for having um, any sort of blood clots during your pregnancy, but also like a heart attack, a stroke, you can, it puts you at slightly higher risk for um, blood clots in your placenta or your umbilical cord that can cause instant death for your baby. 
So my first OB that I saw told me, okay, you have this condition, like be prepared. I was 16 weeks pregnant when she diagnosed with this. She was like, be prepared. Your baby's going to die like at any moment now. Um, But just in case, I'm going to send you to the MFM to talk to them. And I went home and I cried for like a week because I was like, oh my gosh, like my baby's going to die. Like, this is so terrible. I'm just waiting for this at any moment. I kid you not. I went to the MFM and at that first appointment, I was like, okay, what is my official diagnosis? What is my prognosis? What do I need to do? Like my previous OB told me my baby's going to die. And he was like, what? No, like this is so not that serious. He was like, you need to just take some low dose aspirin and your baby's going to be fine. (laughs) This is so not serious. Everything's going to be fine. Like she should not have told you that. So, um, yeah, getting really clear on what your actual diagnosis is, what your actual risk level is, and then asking them what resources they would recommend for you to learn about your risk factors and your diagnosis on your own. And I will tell you, I know you love like empowering women and helping them to educate (laughs) themselves. If your provider says, you know, has any sort of argument to that or says like, well, you don't need to know anything or you don't need to look at other. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. That is a red flag because absolutely a supportive (laughs) provider, whether that's an OB or an MFM, they're going to be actually really excited that you want to be. They're going to be really excited that you want to participate in making educated and knowledgeable and research-based decisions on your pregnancy and your birth plan. They're not going to be threatened by that. And a good provider will be very excited and happy to provide those resources for you. Yes, I totally agree with that. I'm like, I always talk about it should be a partnership, a provider-patient partnership, and we're working together for a common goal, and we should be on the same page as much as possible and doing things collaborative way. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Red flag for sure. (laughs) Run. (laughs) Get a second opinion at the very least. (laughs) Typically though, MFMs are really great. And I've seen a lot throughout all of my pregnancies Mm -hmm. and I can really attest there. One, they're very good at dealing with very nervous families. (laughs) I bet. Yeah. They're (laughs) you know, they're standard, like very nervous, very afraid families. So they're typically very compassionate, very kind, and they want you to really feel as educated and empowered as much as possible. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid of them. (laughs) Consider them a a teammate in your pregnancy and birth process. They can be a great asset. As it should be. I love that. Okay. I wanted to talk about like what birth and I know this will totally depend on the situation obviously but I know when we're high risk there can be a lot of talk about like how that impacts the birth experience and like sometimes there's like recommendations sometimes there's like well you have to do it this way what is that like what do you have to to say about that basically well um First off, you never have to do anything. <laughs> all proposed, like <laughs> yeah, all proposed treatment plans are simply recommendations. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing bad happens to you if you say no or not right now. So that's the first thing to know, just from a mental perspective. I remember uh, with my third pregnancy, uh, my 
my second pregnancy to prevent preterm labor, they had me get weekly progesterone shots from week 16 till I turned 36 weeks. At the the research has changed since, but at the time they thought that weekly um, extra progesterone injections will strengthen your amniotic sac and it will prevent preterm labor for moms that have a history of that. So I did that with my second pregnancy, but with my third, I decided I don't want to do this anymore. I feel like I had some bad side effects. I know that the MFM still wants me to do this, but I don't want to. And so that very first appointment, I went in, I thought it was going to be this huge, like World War III argument, or he was going to be really condescending, but I just said, Hey, like, this isn't, I don't want to do this. He did try his earnest to convince me to follow his recommendation, but it was very amicable. Mm -hmm. And all that happens is he noted in my chart what my wishes were. And then we went on from there of like, okay, if this is what you want to do, then this is our plan B, right? They do not kick you out of care. They cannot. I know. This is. Every every mom, high risk or low risk, always is afraid of this. Of like, oh, I, for sure. If I don't comply with them, are they going to like kick me to the curb? Yeah. Now there are some small like OB practices or things like that that potentially could. Um, that comes really more in line with like their liability insurance, what their malpractice insurance will cover. They have to have their patients sometimes look a certain way or um, have a certain level of risk for their malpractice insurance to cover them. But typically, especially with providers connected to like larger hospital groups or hospital systems, they cannot refuse you care, even if you don't do what they want you to do. And Mm -hmm. most hospitals nowadays, because this is growing in awareness, they have, they usually legally have to have listed on their hospital webpage, their patient bill of rights. And usually in there, there will be a line that says, you know, your provider offers recommendations and you can choose to deny any of those recommendations if you don't want to do it. Um, As far as actual specific diagnoses and things, I was trying to think of this. The only things that I could think of that I would really strongly advise for a C-section would be if you had like placenta previa type conditions Mm -hmm. where placenta is literally grown over your cervix. There is no exit for baby. If your provider is saying, Hey, yeah, we really recommend a C-section. I would strongly advise going with that. And, um, and with that, you can still have a beautiful C-section experience. You can absolutely a really wonderful family centered C-section. I've had two myself and they were really awesome experiences. They don't have to be terrible, Mm -hmm. but most everything else is a is a recommendation and then a discussion of risk. So it's, you know, the the stereotypical one that even a lot of low risk moms will fall under is, oh, if you if you wait to be induced until you're 42 weeks versus your 41 weeks, then you're quote unquote double the risk of a stillbirth. Okay, well, what is that double the risk? That actually me, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, depending on your high risk factors, that could affect your risk level for sure. But for a a typical mom experiencing a healthy low risk pregnancy, that double the risk is going from 16 in 10,000 stillbirths 
to 32 in 10,000 silver. So we're still talking percentages or fractions of percentage. Right, yeah, exactly. Even though the, the language used double the risk for stillbirth sounds really scary. So everyone's health history and their risk factors will be unique and different. So it's important to find out what are your actual risk, your actual absolute risk, and ask for the research, ask for the data. That doesn't make you an uncompliant patient. That makes you someone that's really educated and informed. And ultimately, no matter what your birth situation looks like, it will fill you with a lot of confidence knowing that that was the right choice for you because you're not going to feel bullied into one choice or another. Yeah, I I really like that a lot. I'm like, we need to be making these decisions for ourselves, like with our providers, obviously they're a part of the team, but like, we shouldn't be just letting them make decisions for us. We don't know what's behind that decision because the truth is that we can all have access to the exact same information and still make different decisions because we're different human beings and we have different values and wants and needs and all that stuff. So I like that a lot. I think that's really important to really truly be informed and understand the definitely the absolute risk. I think that's really important because we hear those big, like it's doubled and like, that's super scary. Right. And we hear those big numbers thrown out it's like, Oh, 50%. That's a big number. But then it's like, actually, if you look at it, it's not, it's not as scary as it seems. So I think that's really helpful and it can really open your eyes too. And be like, Oh, okay. At this point, it might be a risk that I'm willing to take. So, yeah. yeah. I always say for all my doula clients that, um, you know, all interventions are morally neutral. There is no right or wrong. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's up to me as their birth doula and as their childbirth educator to let them know all of their options, to inform them on what the latest data and research says or has has shown us. And then it's up to each individual family to decide what risk and interventions they feel most comfortable with. Um, There's no right or wrong way. Everyone is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, Yeah. For my, for my, I'm like interweaving all my birth stories here. Oh, I love that. It's so important to learn from each other's birth stories because that's like, it gives us honestly the most important information I think is learning from what we've gone through. Yeah. So for my youngest birth, he's 18 months now. Mm -hmm. Um, I was already a doula and a childbirth educator and I was pregnant with him. Um, and I, because I've always had very, very high risk pregnancies and with my fourth pregnancy, no, third, third, with my third one, I developed multiple skin cancers during my pregnancy. Like it was really hard. So I convinced my husband for one more baby, but we decided that would be our last And I knew going into that, okay, I'm probably going to want to get my tubes tied after this birth. And so I thought about it. I prayed about it. I did all the research. And about halfway through my pregnancy, I decided uh, that I wanted to get my tubes tied. And instead of going for a third VBAC, I wanted to have a plan C-section this time and do it all in one go. Yeah. And Unlike what many women experience, my provider was trying to convince me most of my pregnancy to do a third VBAC. She really wanted me to do that. Wow. Yeah. Like you could do a third VBAC, like we'll do it. And then you could come back at six weeks postpartum and we'll do another surgery. And just mentally for me at the time, Mm -hmm. I was like, my fifth baby, 
I want to be able to enjoy this. I do not want to do another surgery like right away postpartum. That's not something I'm interested in. So no, I'm going to quote unquote, treat myself to to a repeat C-section. I know that's like very irreverent language, but I kept it a secret from a lot of my doula friends and childbirth educator friends. because like, I know this is not a popular decision, but for me, it felt right. Um, And then, and I made peace with it and we had our plan and that's, you know, what my husband and I decided on. But at the end of my pregnancy, um, I'd always had gestational hypertension, but I developed very, very, very severe gestational hypertension, like almost having a stroke. Wow. And I was on bed rest my last three weeks of my pregnancy. Like I could barely stand and take a shower without feeling like a pounding headache. I did not develop preeclampsia. It was bizarre, but I had sky high blood pressure. And even then my OB was like, are you sure you don't want another another VBAC? Like we can give you the magnesium so you don't have a stroke while you're pushing the baby out. Like, it'll be great. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I was really thankful. I was, I appreciated her like positive peer pressure mm-hmm. in one sense too. Yeah. She was so supportive of VBACs. But at the same time, I also felt so thankful that I had come to, you know, peace in my heart about having a, a second C-section, a planned C-section for this baby because it, it becomes... It became more medically necessary at that time. Yeah, as the- <laughs> he was born at 37 weeks. Like their goal was just to get me to 37 weeks. And he was born then. And it was great. It was an awesome C-section. But yeah, so I am all for like whatever each family wants to decide. And that can look mm-hmm. different with every birth, every pregnancy. But the important thing is is having all the facts, not having anything withheld from you or being manipulated or bullied into one decision or intervention or another. That's that's the important part. Yeah, I feel like from the high-risk moms that I have talked to, it seems like there's less manipulation, like as a whole, obviously it's provider to provider, but as a whole, like it's there's less manipulation and like pressure happening in the high-risk area versus like the normal situation from what I've gathered and I've talked to a lot of moms it's like it's very interesting yeah I'm like dang because they do seem like they're more you know they are more informed they do have more information they are able to sit there and risk assess and treat I think the difference is like it's so much more individualized versus this very cookie cutter situation on the other hand it's like I just I like that so much more that these moms are getting the individualized care that they need I think every mom should be treated that way. It's unfortunately not the case. Um, but yeah, that's just my little two cents on that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think about it like that. But yeah, that makes total sense of why moms. And I mean, it's also a little different. Like, you know what's coming for usually months mm-hmm. on end. <laughs> there are some emergencies that happen, but there's months and months of discussions. It's not like, a healthy low-risk mom that's all of a sudden like the last week of her pregnancy being pressured to be induced like if you're being induced because you're high risk like that discussion's been going on mm-hmm. for like six seven eight months so you have lots of time to process and yeah that makes a lot of sense that's really cool yeah that yeah I kind of just like clicked that I was like that's interesting because it seems yeah from just what I've heard I wish that 
there was more individualized care. And I'm like, if there, if you're not getting it, you should just take it. You should be informed enough to get the, you know, individualized care that you want and deserve, quite frankly. Um, but, you know, not everybody knows how to do that. We're not taught how to do that. So I'm going to keep yelling it on the internet. So hopefully more people know. Yeah. But yeah. I love that. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. I like I, to tell my reverse VBAT story. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that so much because you were the one making that decision, which I love so much because a lot of the time, I'm not saying every time, but a lot of the times we don't make that decision to have a C-section. It happens either emergency or we're like, Hey, it's, it's this or induction or like, Hey, we have to get this baby out now, like kind of situation. It's like a lot of the times women don't feel very empowered to choose that. So I love that you chose that for yourself. And I'm sure it was a much more enjoyable experience than these people that feel like, okay, well, they're telling me this is the best option. So I'm just going to pick it, you know? So I love that. Very interesting. I think you're the first mom that I've met that's like chosen to do that. At least that I've heard the, the story. I love that so much. A lot of times when moms that have had it, I don't want to like put everyone in one boat, but. You know, generalizing. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to generalize. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times moms that have had a C-section that choose to have a planned C-section again, a lot of times they're not super informed about VBACs and the benefits and the different benefits and risk. Um, mm-hmm. I read a really, I don't have it next to me right now, but I can email it to you for the show notes. I read a really great book put out by um, an author in the UK about C-sections and it's a little bit old. It's like 10 years old, but it's all about that C-sections, there is vast levels of differences in the risk between a C-section that is planned ahead of time. Like you do, you're not actually in active labor and they do a C-section versus um, an emergency or a mom that's already in active labor getting a C-section. Vast differences of risk of safety for both mom and baby. So that gave me a lot of confidence um, from a research standpoint, but um, I'm able to talk about it confidently now. But at the time, like I said, I kept it a secret for most of the doulas and fellow childbirth educators that I knew because I felt like, oh, I'm going to come under a lot of flack. Like, why on earth would I choose this? But yeah, like at that point, you don't want to have to justify your choice. (laughs) And yeah, no, I get that. I yeah. I have like most of my family members and stuff. They're like, why would you ever have a baby at home? I'm like, mm-hmm. I know you don't understand. I'm not going to sit here and justify it. If you want to know more information, I'm happy to sit here and talk your ear off about it. I'll talk about it all day long. But I feel like when the, you know, when those comments are coming from like a place of judgment, I'm like, why would you even choose that? Like kind of same situation. I don't think anyone should have to justify why they're making the choices they're making if they feel they're making the best choice for themselves. And if you're making that decision for yourself from an informed place, there's no reason. Um, yeah. That's my two cents on that, I guess. Yeah. And you're free to, you know, make decisions. You're, you're I don't, I don't want to say uninformed decisions. That's not the greatest, but you're free to make decisions that don't line up with quote unquote evidence-based care. Like it's, oh, yeah. Baby, it's your body. Like, you know, I've had um I had one client once that had 
family coming to help her with the newborn baby from Europe. And she wanted to be induced, even though she was pretty healthy and low risk, so she could time their arrival. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, as long as you know, yeah. like, risk and benefits of that, like, for you having your mom and your family member here to help you with the baby ranks higher than like maybe having a harder, longer induction. Awesome. Like if that's your choice, awesome. Like we can support that and get on board and let's make this as beautiful of an experience as possible. So like you said already so many times, like every family, every baby, every birth is different. Um, I personally wish I could have, like I've been to a few home births now as a doula, even though I specialize in like supporting high risk pregnancies and high risk families. Like Oh, I, I still, I wish that I could have had a home birth. Like it's oh. so magical, so beautiful, but like, that's okay. Like that's the cards that I was dealt with my pregnancies. And, um, it just fills me with so much joy now to be able to serve other families that are higher risk, because I know from a place of like deep empathy, maybe some of them really would have loved to give birth in a different birth location or have a different, maybe not have an induction or not have a C-section, but I can support them in a place of like empathy and really yes. get that. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much because I feel like that's what makes a good childbirth educator and a, even a doula and stuff like that. Like these people helping in this space, it's like, our lived experience, I think is so important. Like I, if I could go back and change my experience, what I probably, yeah, it was not great. The first few times it was very traumatic. It was awful, but I'm able to learn from that and help others because of it. And that brings me so much joy. It's not even funny. So same thing with you. I love that so much. I was going to say something else and it's completely gone. Of course it is. My brain, man, a special little brain, but that's okay. Um, it'll probably come back in a second. Is there anything else that we should be chatting about, about high risk stuff? Um, oh, I think, so one other thing that <laughs> this might sound like, uh, self-servicing, but I really recommend hiring a doula and taking a really good childbirth class. If you are high risk, I think it's really important to have someone, especially a doula that has experience with high-risk pregnancies. Because if you get someone that is more, you know, maybe they've only ever done home birth and they're trying to fit you into that like one box of what they think all birth must look like, that's going to be difficult. But if you can get a doula that's maybe seen some more higher intervention births, a doula that has some experience with higher risk pregnancies, they can be a wonderful guide of helping walk you through that pregnancy and birth experience. Um, just, just the fact of having so many appointments, having so much more testing and things like that as a high risk mom can be really taxing mentally. So just having a really supportive sounding board that is a little bit more objective and knowledgeable about the whole journey mm -hmm. can be really helpful. And then for you and your support person, whether that's your partner, your spouse, whoever, I think it's really important to take a high quality, non-hospital non -hospital <laughs> and you can find some really awesome ones online, on demand. Uh, you can look for them in your community. Again, finding one though, that's a little bit more middle of the road, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. Epic Space Birth is a really great one. Uh, bundle Birth Nursing. Um, 
I love um, Fierce Lizzie's Unmedicated Academy, some of those things, you know, but really just getting as educated and informed as possible so that you can be the one driving the decision making, if that makes sense. One of my favorite, favorite uh, birth research stats shows that um, as long as you are educated about all of your options and you feel like your voice is being heard in your pregnancy and your birth experience, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, even if you have like what might feel like the most catastrophic, scary, like emergency C-section situation, as long as you know what is going on every step of the way and you feel like you're being listened to, you are far less likely, research shows us, to feel like you had a traumatic birth or mm-hmm. even go on to develop full-blown PTSD postpartum. So that right there is so powerful because we can't always control what happens in birth, whether you're a healthy, low-risk mom planning a home birth or whether you're a high-risk mom planning a plan C-section or you know a three-day-long induction process. We can't always control all the things, but we can control our education going into it and we can control having a supportive provider by our side that's going to listen and support us on the journey. Yeah. I love that so much. I think that it's important to, cause that's like, that's where all my birth trauma stems from. It was all completely unnecessary because I just, they made all the decisions for me and it wasn't like this, like I accomplished my plan on paper, right? I had my no epidural. I had my vaginal birth experience. Like I wanted, that was the whole plan. Those two things. <laughs> so not great. Um, I did the, the class at the hospital. I did everything they told me to do. Like I did, but it doesn't prepare you enough for that experience. And I'm like, if I would have known all of the decisions that needed to be made and I was the one making those decisions, I, I would probably bet money that I wouldn't have had it at least a fraction of the trauma that I had during that time. So I totally agree with that. And another thing that I see with my clients all the time. And that's why I like, that's like the whole core of like what I do with my business is like, I need you guys to understand how important this stuff is and how to prepare your partner and to prepare, you know, to have conversations with your provider, make sure you guys are on the same page, make sure there's everyone's on your, you know, I'm like, everyone needs to be on the same page, your page, right? Like, and we're working together, obviously, but everybody's there for the common goal and helping you achieve the goals that you've set for yourself and supporting you in that and whatever, you know, whatever twists and turns your birth may take. So I love that. And on the topic of having a doula, I think I've never had a doula before, but my mom kind of acts like my doula a little bit. She did, especially in like my first birth experience, because um, my husband just wasn't the partner I needed quite yet. We were very new, very young. Um I didn't even really know what I was doing either. So I'm not blaming him, but she stepped in, was able to help me. She had six kids herself and she was able to tell me what to do and like, just kind of be that like pillar in the room to turn to. And like that unwavering person that I knew that was totally on my side that I could like freak out with and like, you know, just be like, keeps me grounded kind of deal. And I think a doula can totally be that. And I love that so much. Okay. Before we sign off, I have two more things. First, what's your number one birth prep tip? <laughs> I'm going to be a broken record here. But my number one birth prep tip is to get educated. Yes, mine too. <laughs> uh, again, 
like reiterating what I've already said, there is no right or wrongs uh, in birth. Everything is individualistic. Everything is nuanced. All interventions are morally neutral. You know, they all come with different risks and benefits. And there is so much power and beauty in getting educated yourself on what all the options are and learning what those risks and benefits are and then deciding with your partner what things your unique family feels comfortable with. And again, that can change with every birth and every pregnancy, but deciding together what makes you feel um, positive, safe, empowered, excited for your birth, all of those things, uh, education just it, it cannot be um, emphasized enough. It really can't. It's like number one, two, three, and four, right? Like it's like the, the top tip ever. <laughs> Definitely be educating yourselves, ladies. Um, okay, last, certainly not least, where do you hang out on the internet? Where can we connect with you? Yeah, um, well, I do. If you're interested in this, if you're a high-risk pregnancy mom, I do have a freebie that people can get at my website, LexiZuo.com, L-E-X-I-Z-U-O.com. Uh, I have a free list there of 10 questions to ask your OB or MFM if you've been classified as high-risk. So that is a great starting off point. You can also follow me on Instagram, Lexi.Zuo. And yeah, I'm trying to really ramp up my content there to be, you know, educational, encouraging and empowering. Those are my three E's kind of. I, I love that. I've been binging your content. It's like, so every time I log in, it's like the first step. I'm like, oh, I gotta, gotta see what she's saying. I'm going to put all that information in the show notes. So you guys, if you guys want to go check Lexi out, which you totally should, especially if you're a high risk patient, go check her out. Check the show notes for that. Lexi, this was so fun. I loved this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here.